Good to see each and every one of you today. I heard about a man standing on a street corner sobbing, just sobbing. And someone came up and said, are you all right? He said, well, I just got married to a beautiful woman. And he kept sobbing. They said, well, you know, what, what's going on? And he said, she's just so friendly and she's a good cook. And he kept sobbing. The man said, well, why are you crying? He said, because I can't remember where I live. You know, they say, ladies, if you marry an archaeologist, marry an archaeologist, because the older you get, the more interest he'll take in you. When you figure that one out. Oh, well, it's good to be here today. Appreciate, appreciate the song. I was um, I'm pre- preaching from 1 Kings chapter 17. Here's a woman, uh, we were going to talk about her a little more today, but we're not, because uh, our wonderful Sunday school lesson was Elisha and the woman with the barrels, and, and so I want to take this part out of the, our, our message today. Here's this woman, she's broken. Have you ever been broken? I'm not saying necessarily poor like her, but you're to a place where you realize you are nothing. It's happened to me a couple times in my life where God just had to just humble me. And, and, and I'm so thankful for His grace in breaking me. Amen? God won't use, you know, a vessel unless it's empty. And here's this woman, and she scrapes the bottom of the barrel to take care of this the, her boy normally. And all of a sudden, the prophet comes, and she's got to provide for him. And, and she's seeking first the kingdom rather than her son. It's a great story. But we're not going to look at it. We're going to look, first of all, at a dried brook but we're not going to look at the depleted barrel or the dead boy today. Uh, I believe it was uh, Hudson Taylor who said, uh, uh, we're dried brooks without the Lord. We're also depleted barrels without the Lord. And we could say without the Lord, we're dead in our trespasses and sins like the dead boy. And of course, we were spiritually dead as, as children without God. But we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. When you find that stand, 1 Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Go thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Sherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Sherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh. Bread and that, that means meat in the morning and bread, and that means meat, flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to sustain thee. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. Lord, just to have an opportunity to preach, I'm so undeserving. But God, You're sovereign. We're here today. You knew who would be here. You knew the circumstances of our life. And here we are now about to preach from a passage of Your Word. And Lord, I don't know the hearts of people here. You do. 
Lord, I just pray You'll meet needs. Save souls. Speak to hearts. Bless us, Lord. We're so undeserving. Thank You, God, for Your grace. And Lord, if we haven't yet been broken, break us again. Make us what we ought to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. First and Second Kings were originally one book. We divided them years ago, but uh, we know the author is not named in the Bible, so we don't know. And people want to argue sometimes who wrote Hebrews. Hebrews doesn't say. Where I believe it's Paul, that's not something we fight over because it's not stated. Now, if you, if you get a hold of a, the Babylonian Talmud, which you're probably going to have a hard time finding a copy, but it says that uh, uh, Jeremiah was the author, but we just don't know. That's a, that's a historical Jewish writing from the days of Babylon. So we don't know who wrote the book, but we know that it is comprised of prophets' words and different experiences of different prophets. We have things about David in here and, and Samuel, and here, of course, Elisha, or Elijah, and, and we studied in Sunday school, Elijah, and a lot of great barrel stories in the Bible, right? Uh, the empty barrels. And then there's the empty barrels in John 2. And go, go fill them with water. And, and we had the story this morning. Here we have an empty barrel story we're not going to talk about. But, you know, the Bible talks about uh, being chosen vessels. And we are also vessels. The woman's called a weaker vessel. That means a fragile vase. That's why we shouldn't yell at our wives. Or say ugly things to them because they're fragile. A lot of great vessel stories. I'm getting off the subject. But here, Elijah, who was associated with the school of the prophets, started by Samuel. That's our star here of the text. Not a star, but our servant. He performed eight miracles. Remember, Elisha asked for a double portion, and he performed 16 miracles. We know that Baal worship was a big thing in that day. Jezebel's father was a Baal worshiper. He controlled a lot of territory. Ahab had Baal worship introduced to Israel or as part of Israel's worship. And yet his name, meant, Elijah, means Yahweh is my God, or Yahweh is God. Yahweh is our Old Testament name for the covenant God, the I Am of the Old Testament. We know the I Am of the Old Testament is who? Who's that in the New Testament before Abraham was? I am. So this is Yahweh. Whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you know that is Yahweh. Not Adonai, which means servant. It's Yahweh. So here they had Jehovah worship or Yahweh worship, but Baal was threatening that. And we know Ahab was, was really an evil person, as was Jezebel, and wanted to stop the worship of the God of Israel. And here we have this sojourner as the word here translated inhabitant in verse 1 is, is translated over in Psalm sojourner. So you have here this sojourner, this guy who just travels a lot. We don't find Elijah in any one set place. He's kind of like our John the Baptist was. He just uh, kind of lived out there in the wilderness. And uh, yet he was a great man of God. I, I love everything about Elijah. And he was uh, living in the area and and he's come and he says there's going to be a drought. He says the drought's going to continue. Now what's significant about a drought when he goes and tells Israel there's going to be a drought? Well, remember, Baal was the god of rain, the fertility god. Supposedly Baal could help you get pregnant. Supposedly Baal would help the crops grow and Baal would provide rain. And so here, Yahweh is going to humiliate Baal. Now, Baal is a false god. There's only one true god. A lot of false gods, they're all 
Satan, in, you know, impersonating God or some sort of God. When you study the plagues of Egypt, you will learn that each plague was a, a refute of another Egyptian god. The Egyptians were polytheists. Poly means many. They had a lot of gods. We're monotheists. We believe in one God. Amen? The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe Jesus Christ, the great I Am, the way, the truth, and life, the only way. So we don't believe in multiple gods, but the Egyptians did. So every one of those plagues, a great study for you. Maybe one day we'll preach through those plagues, but just think of the sun god, and all of a sudden it's dark. So here you have... Baal is going to be embarrassed, not that Baal's a real person like all these false gods. They all disappear. We don't, nobody worships Baal today, but people still worship Yahweh. People still worship God, Elohim, the father of the Old Testament, and his son, who's finally named Jesus. So here, this, this rain god. And remember, Deuteronomy 11 says that God used the elements to judge sometimes. When he was angry with Israel or any nation, he could hold back the rain. And so God's going to do this to teach Israel and Ahab, the evil king, a lesson. In verse 1, Elijah says, it's not going to rain, but according to my word. He had confidence as a prophet of God that he was speaking the very word of God. And he was. And we find in verse 1, it says here, he says, excuse me, verse 2, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Now God speaks to Elijah, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Sherith. Sherith is a brook, the word means to wrap around. And Jordan, which is near there, it means to descend. Remember, the Jordan River goes down all the way down into the Dead Sea. And then it just disappears. The Dead Sea keeps dropping every year. We've talked about that maybe at some point in time, I believe. I, my mind doesn't do so well these days in memory and remembering what I've talked about. But the Dead Sea is exactly what it's called. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea. It's like sin. If you fly over the Dead Sea in the Holy Land, you'll see this beautiful blue body of water. But if you go to the Dead Sea, you find there's no life. It's like sin. It's deceptive. And so the Jordan River descends down into that. But here is, he's hiding by this little brook. It says, hide thyself. So first of all, God hides his people. God hides his people. And we, we see him hiding the prophet right here near this little brook. Now look over uh, to chapter 18 and verse 1. Here in chapter 18 and verse 1, he tells him to go to Ahab and show thyself to Ahab. So in one sense, God says, hide yourself. It's not safe right now. But in God's time, he eventually says, go and confront Ahab. Go show thyself to Ahab. So here in the text, he's hiding his man of God. Now back to chapter 16 and verse 30. It says here, And Ahab the son of Amri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. He's a horrible person. And his wife Jezebel is a horrible person. She later becomes dog food. You know that story. But here there, And she threatens the life of Elijah in chapter 19. Ahab's always threatening the life of prophets who prophesied the truth. You know, sinful people hate to hear the truth. That's why the world says... We shouldn't preach. They call it hate speech if we preach against this new law that gives people the right to get a sex change operation and then men can beat up women, I guess, in boxing arenas or something. 
It's perverted, it's nonsense, but the world doesn't like the truth. And just like Ahab and Jezebel today, many of our leaders hate, hate the truth. And so here we have God hiding the prophet. I like the 23rd Psalm, verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. God takes care of his people. He hides them. Then, verses 4 to 6, God provides for his people. My pastor used to say where God guides, God provides. I remember as a missionary, I decided back living in my trailer in Tree and Sky Bubble Home Park, I needed to go raise support. So I quit my job. And I go on my first trip without any money. Pulling out of my driveway, a person came and gave me $20. Or I was going to Florida without any money in my pocket. That's how dumb I was. I guess it was faith, but I didn't have a credit card. And yet, I, I saw many times, we, we didn't have food. All of a sudden, we'd come home. We didn't tell anybody, except the Lord, there'd be a 50-pound bag of potato on my porch. I thought, wow, how did someone know that? So we had baked potatoes and fried potatoes and mashed potatoes, potato soup, you know, everything. Uh, but yet God always provides for his people. You know, the Bible says the righteous don't beg for bread. Now, while he's receiving from a raven meat and flesh, the other prophets of Israel, good prophets, but they're just getting bread to eat according to chapter 18. So many great verses on bread in the Bible. Gives us day our daily bread. We don't have to pray that much. We have cupboards full of stuff. But to the early pilgrim, it meant, Lord, we're hungry today. And do you know they were so poor they had to go to the marketplace every day to get bread? And they hoped they had something they could trade just to feed the family. And so here's Elijah, and he's near this brook, and he's being taken care of. I love the scripture, man shall not live by bread alone. Satan says to Jesus, I'll give you all this. If, if, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you bread if you, if, you, if you just do what I want you to do. And what did the Lord do? He rebuked him with the word. That's why it's important to memorize Scripture. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. Every word. The word of God is supernaturally empowered. It's a sword. And, of course, there's so many great things in the Bible about bread. We think of the bread of life. We know that people need more than bread. They need the milk to start with. They eventually need meat to be strong. I like the verses on the honey from the rock. I mean, the Word of God, it'll take care of us at every level. When you're an infant Christian, a young Christian, you, you get that milk. Oh, you're so excited when you read John's Gospel. And 40 years later, you read John's Gospel, and it's so deep, and you're still excited. Because He gives you that meat, and He gives you the secret things of the Word. And, and so, God provides for his people. He feeds them. I think of the Bible says the righteous don't need to beg for bread. We need to teach people today things that we learned when we were young. My dad taught me, if you don't work, tough luck, kid. I wanted a varsity jacket because I had my sports letters and I wanted where I get that. He said, son, I'll tell you what, I'll get you one if you stain the fence. We had a wooden fence all the way around our backyard, and I had to stain that thing both sides. And he'd come home and he'd say, well, it's not really good there. You've got to do good work, son. And I worked and worked to get that jacket. I resented it then. I loved the jacket, but resented staining the fence. But my dad taught me something, the importance of hard work. Our country needs to remember the Bible said if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't 
Healthy, able-bodied men need to be working. And, and, and so here, here the Bible says the righteous don't beg for bread. Elijah's getting bread and meat. Look at verse 4. It says here, the ravens would feed him there. Feed thee there. That word translated feed, look at verse 9. Same Hebrew word in verse 9 is translated two words from the end of the last, uh, verse 9, the end of the last line, sustain. Same Hebrew word. Translated in one place, sustain the other feed. God sustains us. God feeds us. He fed the prophet and He'll feed us. And so we find God providing. Here He provides for His man. And the interesting thing is He uses a raven to do it. Sports teams that have the raven or one of those birds, they call themselves the dirty birds. Actually, it's biblical. Leviticus 11 says the raven is a dirty bird. You're not supposed to eat it. I wouldn't eat one anyway, but it was dirty. I'm certain it doesn't taste good. There's a dirty bird. It's black, which is a type of sin. You know that. Righteousness is white. We have a, a wedding gown and a woman wears white because she says, I'm a virgin. I'm pure. I'm clean. And, and, and here a raven is black. And it lives off the filth of the world. When Noah rested on Mount Arad on the 17th day, which is very significant. That's the same as the resurrection. We'll tie that in some other time. But we know that he sent out two birds. He sent out a dove that had to come back. Why? It couldn't find any seeds. But the raven could live off those floating, bloated carcasses because it was a dirty bird. And yet, Luke 12 says, the Lord feeds and takes care of the raven. Did you know God feeds sinners today? The whole world needs to thank God for provision. You know, people think that they're doing well because they're so gifted and great and they don't need God. Let's listen. God could speak the word and we could have a three and a half year drought. And God will judge nations. America's not in prophecy. I'm afraid for our future. Uh, God looks very unfavorably at sin. We have a problem in our country. And we can't change it politically. So many Christians would say, well, I'm arguing with my coworker, or this person's a liberal and I don't get along with them and, and I'm going to make my point. And I say, stop. Stop. The only way to change people is to win them to Jesus. You win a political argument, you might lose a friend. They may never come to your church. We want sinners here. We need to compel them to come in. We need to see people saved. We're not going to see people saved if we create enemies with arguing. So let's get back to the basics. And we, we thank God. He provides for the people of the world. And then he uses a raven to provide for the man of God. Sometimes God uses sinners to provide for you. Do you know God can touch a sinner's life and make you favorable in their eyes? Think of Joseph. Think of Daniel. Years ago, I worked at a health spa. I was a trainer. I taught people how to get in shape. Yes, you're saying, well, Pastor, you need to go to that place and see a trainer now. Probably true. But I remember those days, and I had a guy come in there. He owned Duff's Mortgage Board. Some of you are old enough to remember that. I was on Lee Highway. And the guy liked me. He wasn't a believer. But he'd say, when's your lunch hour? And I'd say, let's go to Duff's. And I would get stuffed at Duff's. Uh, I would probably overeat, you know. 
And uh, I remember how nice he was to me. Had two other guys there that were nice to me. They would give me money. I never understood why. I never once said to him, I'm a struggling Bible college student. I was struggling not just financially, but academically in Bible college. And these guys did things for me. You know what God can do for you if you're struggling? He can touch someone's heart to help you. He can touch a doctor's heart, the perfect doctor to help Wayne Rogden. Did you know that? Did you know God's sovereign? He's, and Jesus Christ, the great I am, is the great physician. I think of my story of my grandson who, who has something I'm not going to share what's wrong with him. My son wants it kept confidential, but he needed some surgery. And my son brought him up to Boston Children's Hospital. I did this surgery on him, and it was just one of these surgeries that really takes the best surgeon. Then my, wife, my son moved down to Louisville to take over there, all their parking in the city of Louisville to manage that, that city. And his son had another outbreak of this thing, and he thought, what am I going to do? I don't know of a doctor in Louisville that's skilled. Well, guess who moved from Boston to Louisville? He figured that one out. Do you think God was involved in that move? Absolutely. He looks in the phone book, and there's this doctor. He said, you've got to be kidding me. It was just mind-boggling. That's God. That's God. Give God the glory for that stuff. And that stuff happens to you, doesn't it? Happens to me. Sometimes I'm just like, it's awesome what God does. And so here we find that God takes care of the sinners of the world by feeding them. Do you know the goodness of God leads people to repentance? I've known a lot of people that get in trouble and they make a, a profession of faith. Yeah, I don't know that it's a life uh, of true repentance because repentance means to turn. But they pray a prayer, they come to church, maybe they're like the old shadfish, they, they're dead as soon as they come out of the water of the baptistry, you know. And you don't see them, they don't stick. And, and I'm not saying that's, that's the case all the time. Some of you were saved out of tragedy, I understand that. But the Bible also said the goodness of God leads people to repentance. And sometimes a sinner will just say, you know what, God's sure been good to me. And they'll say, what about God? I don't know God. And they'll seek God. And if they seek God, they'll always find God. Because God's been seeking them out. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so here we find this raven, very influential in, in the life of the prophet, bringing him twice a day. And by the way, the custom of that day was to eat twice a day. So the raven's bringing him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat at night, and he's drinking from this brook. And he's here waiting. He's, he's no doubt noticing that the brook is drying up. Well, I can't take a bath anymore. It's down to a trickle. Still enough to drink. I don't know what he did, whether he panicked or feared, but I do know he trusted. He ultimately trusted in God's guidance. And so it's down to a trickle. And my question today is, what do you do when the brook runs dry? What do you do? What do you do? We've changed insurances this year because the other was too expensive and they're not covering some of our medications. And it's getting difficult for my wife who has lupus and not to get some of the things she needs. And it's been frustrating. What do we do? We, we, we can't look for solutions out there. We look for those solutions up there. Up there. You know who's up there? God. That's the answer. God. The great provider, the great, the perfect God, Jehovah Tiskadu. God is our righteousness. 
Jehovah Jireh. God's our provider. God's our banner. God's everything. God's everything you ever needed in a God. He's a perfect God, and He will provide. So here He is, and He's no doubt wondering. The ravens have taken care of it. And the Bible said it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came again and said, Get thee to Zarephath. Zarephath means refining, tested or tried or put through a fire. And he's going to be tested there again. But there's no doubt he's tested here. And he had to just wait by that little brook for days and just drink of this brook and wonder, what is God doing? You know, I like it where God says to Ruth, sit still, Ruth, and see how the matter will turn out. The actual words are, see how the matter will fall. I like what he said to Job, stand still and see his wondrous works. We know the great phrase to Moses, stand still. He's at the brink of destruction. The enemy's coming. There's a wall of water and God says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then the psalmist in Psalm 46, be still and know I am God. Two great phrases. I am Elohim. I'm God, the great I am. Just be still. You know what that means, be still? If you study that Hebrew word, it means take your hands off. Take your hands off. Too often we try to manipulate situations. We have to wait on God. Wait on God. I've gotten ahead of myself more times than I want to talk about. I've done some of the dumbest things in my life. Wished I had, but you, can't do, get, you don't get do-overs. You just have to ask for forgiveness. If I would just wait on God. Wait on the Lord. I love the story about a little boy. He's on the side of the road, and a, a neighbor man, new in the neighborhood, comes out and says, boy, that, boy, that bus isn't going to stop there. It stops down there in that corner. I've seen the bus. I know the bus route. I got the thing from school for my children. They had to, you got to go down to that corner where my children and the other children are. And the boy just stood there. And the man has said again, you know, you're not going to get a ride. And the bus came, made a strange maneuver, came to the other side of the road, picked that boy up and went on. And as the bus was pulling away, the boy said, I knew it was going to stop here because that's my, my dad's the bus driver. <laughs> you know, God is my father, Abba Father. And I know God's going to take care of me. Sometimes I just have to wait. Just have to wait. Great story about D.L. Moody. My pastor had the privilege of preaching at that great Moody church. And he was friends with H.A. Ironside and, and uh, he, uh, the great, the great R.A. Torrey. And he, he had some great friends. My pastor's been with the Lord for a long time. But there's a story about D.L. Moody I like. Moody's on Lake Michigan headed back to Chicago when a storm comes up. And Lake Michigan can get very rough. I've been seasick out there uh, salmon fishing. And I tell you, it's rough. And it can get really, really bad. And, and people were all frantic and nervous and urgently praying. People didn't know God were praying, I'm sure. And, and someone said to D.L. Moody, why are you so calm? There's a storm and we're about to perish. She said, well, it's like this. I have a sister in Chicago and I have one in heaven. And I'm going to see one of them tonight. You know, God's sovereign. He's in control. He's in control of Wayne. Wish Wayne were here. He's in control of Wayne's health. 
He's in control of your wealth or lack of it. He's in control of your circumstances. We all have a cross to carry. Where one of you has a, a wayward child, another one of you has a bad marriage, one of you has a health issue, one of you is maybe broke, God's still sovereign. And you're not going to accomplish anything. Try to manipulate. You have to wait on God. Get thee to Zarephath. <laughs> Get thee to Zarephath. Hudson Taylor, I already quoted him. We're dried brooks without God. Get thee to Zarephath. Zarephath is a 100-mile journey, and the average person walks 3.4 miles, and that's one thing I had to learn this week. How far fast does the man walk? 3.4 miles an hour. That'd be 34 miles in, in, uh, in 10 hours. So if he walked all night, and he's, he's traveling through Jezebel's dad's territory, and, and so Baal-worshipping people, and if, you know, he, he's, it's very risky, but get thee to Zarephath. He has to make this journey through a difficult area. And I like what A.T. Pearson says. Guidance is going where God says to go, when God says to go, and then he adds this phrase I'm not so sure I like, as God says to go. You know, early Christians viewed life as a journey. Some of you were saved, and you're looking at the end, and you're saying, I can't wait till heaven. But you know what? In between going to heaven and arriving at heaven, you have to understand that your life does matter. How you travel is important. Living your life daily. I wish I had do-overs. I don't. You wish you did too, but you don't. Mistakes we make haunt us and bother us. God uses them to humble us. He's going to refine us and test us. Some of it we bring upon ourselves. Others, we don't know where it comes from. It's the way trials are. They come in strange, at strange times in strange manners. But they come. And we have to understand that our journey is not about just arriving at the finish line, but the life we live from the time we're saved till we arrive at the finish line. He said guidance is going where, when, and, and traveling as God says to travel. And that's a journey by faith. Hebrews calls it a race. That word agon or agony is there. You get a word agony from it. Life's not easy. But what you do from the day you're saved until the day you are raptured or die is important. God gave you 66 books from 40 inspired men and, and says, here's, here's the guidebook. This book tells us how to be saved, but that, it doesn't end there. That's the beginning of a journey. And traveling as God wants us to travel is in accordance to this word inspired and errant and fallible word of God. So what are you going to do when the brook runs dry? What are you going to do? You're going to complain. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being broke. Every time I get a little bit of money, something breaks. I'm tired of it. What about the person who doesn't have their daily bread. I'm sick and tired of all these health problems. I'm tired of being sick. Do you complain? If you believe God's sovereign, He has a purpose in it. It doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. Ecclesiastes says He makes everything beautiful in His time. God doesn't work on my calendar. 
I'm, I'm tired of this coworker. I can't stand it anymore. Start praying for him. You know, he may be a raven that might end up helping you. Or a raven you can help. A raven's a type of a sinner. God has you where you are for a reason. He doesn't make mistakes. I left when I was your engine pastor two and a half years back, years ago. I I left here and it was a troubled church. You know, we had 40 to start with. We grew and, and there was never total real reconciliation. There was still this inner fighting. I left. As I finally, you called, as you found Brian. Lord, well, I'll never go back there again. <laughs> Not going to help that church again. I mean, that was, oof, it was rough. And yet, what is God? He's in control. God knew I'd preach this today before I was born. Isn't that something? The all-knowing God never ceases to amaze me. Sometimes I'm mad about something. All right, God, what's going on here? It's almost as if he speaks. He doesn't speak in an audible voice, by the way, but he'll just say to my conscience, well... Are you going to preach on how I'm in control this week? I think, oh, don't bring my sermons up, Lord. I know what I say. God's in control of every detail of your life. So do you complain or do you become dishonest and find a way to finagle your way through it? Do you manipulate the situation? Run to a bank and get a loan even though you owe other loans? You know, that's another thing we got a problem with. People borrow money and they decide they don't want to pay it back to get an attorney and they file bankruptcy and they don't pay back what they owe. Did you know that's sinful? Kind of quiet in here. You borrow money, are you supposed to pay it back? Amen. And in our country, don't worry about it. We're teaching our people that they can borrow and not pay. Well, I heard this week legislation let people, you know, borrow who borrowed money not pay it back, just forgive it. Up to 120%, they're going to even give them cash in addition to wiping their loan out. I'm thinking, what is going on here? Wish I'd have borrowed some money. No, I'm just kidding. But do you manipulate? Do you borrow? Do you beg? Or do you trust? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not under their own understanding. When you don't understand, you need to trust. Get that one word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You won't understand. But it goes on to say, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under their own understanding. And He will what? Direct your paths. You want God's direction? Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. He's in control. And if you're not, if you're here today and you're not saved, I don't know of any visitors, but if you're here today and you're not saved, it's time to trust Him today. He will save you. Whosoever will may come. Trust in the Lord today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And I know, God, you're in control. Sometimes I don't like the way you do things, but you know what's best because you're God. And I'm just Dan Mao and my two natures, old Dan and new man, constantly fighting. And, and my old man is, my old Dan is always wrong. 
Thank you, God. Thank you for being in control of Wayne's life and Candy's daddy and this church and the people in this church and their situations. God, thank you. We praise you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and say amen.